Welcome to this episode of the Multicultural Middle Ages, a podcast series brought to you by the Graduate Student Committee of the Medieval Academy of America. In this special episode, Alina Gertzman, Sonia Remace, and I will be speaking about pedagogy, new approaches to teaching global medieval art history, and what is at stake when the so-called global Middle Ages enter the university classroom. But first, introductions. You might remember me from episode zero. My name is Rita O'Mara, and I am a PhD student in art history in the joint program between Case Western Reserve University, or CWRU, and the Cleveland Museum of Art. My work broadly focuses on the arts of medieval Germany, but my primary research interests lie in Jewish illuminated manuscripts. I am currently a member of the Graduate Student Committee of the Medieval Academy of America. Alina, how about you introduce yourself first, and then you, Sonia. I'm Alina Gertzman. I teach medieval art and direct graduate studies in the Department of Art History and Art at Case Western Reserve University. And I am Sonia Ree Mace, the George P. Bickford Curator of Indian and Southeast Asian Art at the Cleveland Museum of Art. Thank you both. I am so glad you are both here today. Let's begin by giving a little bit of background on today's topic. Our listeners would appreciate a brief overview of the global medieval courses you taught. Sonia, will you start us off? In the fall of 2017, Alina and I co-taught a Mellon Foundation-funded course called Medieval Wonders, Monuments from Across the Globe. It was open to both undergraduates and graduate students and aimed to introduce students to the art of the medieval world by means of focused studies on individual monuments, each viewed from within its own cultural context. Sonia and I alternated our lectures based on our individual areas of expertise. Many of my medievalist colleagues may not know that one of my doctoral exam fields focused on pre-Columbian art. So in addition to the monuments of medieval Palestine in the Christian West, I taught the fabulous sites of Palenque, Yashchilan, and Panampak. I then focused lectures on paradigmatic medieval sites in India, Southeast Asia, Central Asia, Tibet, and the Islamic world. The course coincided with a special exhibition at CMA featuring the loan of a carved section from an enclosure wall of the sprawling 13th century temple complex at Bandi Chmar in northwestern Cambodia. We spent as much time as possible in the galleries. We also ranged somewhat outside of the iconic sites to include monuments less widely recognized. I decided to introduce the painted churches of present-day Sweden, Denmark, and Finland. It was clear to us that a course like this needs to include a broad range of specialists, all of whom are sensitive to being neither myopic nor superficial with their material. Thanks to the Mellon funding, we brought in many colleagues to speak to our students. For instance, a colleague from Tufts, Christina Moranzi, came to deliver a class on the churches of Armenia. A globally-oriented course then became a substrate to teach more finely-tuned classes. The course really swept broadly across much of the world, but we did set the parameter that the sites covered had to still survive much as they existed when they were constructed. So that eliminated most African and East Asian monuments since the favored materials of wood or mud construction do not survive. Future iterations of the course, however, I am sure could fold in some monuments from those regions, but we'd need to bring on other specialist colleagues. Most certainly. That's precisely what we're doing in the Global Medieval course I'm currently co-teaching with our wonderful curator of Korean art. So, the second joint course we taught together was an upper division collection seminar, also funded by the Mellon. 
We called it Parchment Paper Palm, Global Medieval Manuscripts. This course came about as a rethinking of my own class on the book in the Middle Ages, which focused on Jewish, Christian, and Islamic material. It may sound broad, but I actually found that to be rather limiting, so we collaborated to also consider manuscripts from those areas of the world that are represented in the museum's collection. And, as the title of the course suggests, we emphasized the semiotics of materiality in medieval manuscripts. Reading primary sources on the ritual function of palm leaf in Buddhist and Jain texts, or the elision of parchment with the divine word and flesh in a Christian context, we invited an East Asian specialist to discuss the indigo-dyed hand scrolls written in gold. Objects were couched within micro-histories, and students developed in-depth analysis on an individual topic. The culminating project was a series of quite sophisticated comparative articles published on the museum's blog called The Thinker. It was an exciting course in which we grappled with a wide range of complex material. We all learned so much. Fantastic, thank you. As you both know, the Monuments class was before my time at CWRU, but I thoroughly enjoyed participating in the manuscripts course. Having given our listeners a survey of the classes, I think it's important we turn to methodology. Perhaps you, Sonia, might start us off by speaking a little bit about how these classes defined global and the global turn in medieval art history. How did they critique or interrogate this terminology and methodology? Elena and I were committed to approaching works of art and architecture on their own cultural terms. Rather than presenting material as part of a network of influences promulgated by mercantile or diplomatic travel or as a discrete list of case studies on what people made at different times in different places, it was important to us that we be mindful not to oversimplify characteristics of a culture, entrench erroneous stereotypes, or engage in meaningless comparative exercises. For this reason, we recognize the need to enlist specialist collaborators to supplement the presentation of material outside the scope of our own expertise, even at an undergraduate level. From there, the connections that emerged had more to do with recognizing shared ideas of how the world is conceptualized, even within different epistemologies, and even without the existence of recorded contact or relationships. There's value in understanding how people in different historical moments and geographical locations confronted similar issues, such as the paradox of the humanity of God or the vivification of an image. This approach dissolves the distinction between center and periphery and negates insidious othering and exoticizing. Then, the marvelous result is that whatever one's own specialty, exposure to alternative approaches to similar issues opens one's mind to reevaluating familiar material in a new light. Yes, let me just add that we found real value in teaching microhistories of our sites and our objects. This methodology allowed us to test the chronology of shared experiences by noting conceptual echoes and resonances, expanding or flexing the parameters of medieval experience. This approach essentially allowed students to construct their own views of the Middle Ages, their own global multicultural medieval worlds, as it were. 
Rather than viewing the art of different regions individually in separate courses, students were exposed to them concurrently in both the Global Monuments course and the Manuscripts Seminar. Through this process, both commonalities and shared values could be recognized alongside contrasting viewpoints and distinctive regional styles. At the same time, students were forced to confront the variances in different fields and methodologies, leading them to acknowledge the histories of exclusion, racism, and colonialism that have been a part of medieval studies since its inception. So how did students confront the differences amongst the various fields? What were some of the major takeaways? We want to steer students away from dichotomies of Western Europe and then the other, of the center and the periphery. At the same time, we were intent on showing that otherness was constructed within communities that students would consider otherwise homogenous. To take the most basic example, um, Christians were looking at the Jews in their midst as the other, albeit close at hand. And then, of course, we had to deal with historiography, which can betray extremely nationalistic and xenophobic approaches to art and its history. Students forced to confront these issues started within a colonial framework, but they did so with full awareness that othering was and is still happening everywhere. And this awareness, we hope, somewhat diffused the power of a privileged historical perspective. In the field of South Asian art, the very project of art historical inquiry is a colonial enterprise. One of my personal motivations in teaching the global medieval classes was to examine critically whether or not the term medieval should apply to India, even though we in the field have been using this term for decades to refer to the period between the Gupta and Mughal empires, which temporarily roughly coincides with the millennium typically considered medieval in Europe. This interesting synergy breaks down upon closer analysis. Nevertheless, we found that in spite of its modern or colonial framework, the analysis of art as historical and cultural documents of what mattered to people at a certain time and place remains useful, as long as we are careful to avoid the pitfalls. Similarly, retaining the term medieval is useful as long as students are aware of its inherent fluidity and implications. I think this is a great point to shift to the students in the classes. As you have both noted, the class on monuments was a mixture of undergraduates and graduate students, while the other course dealing with manuscripts was solely made up of graduate students. How did these different student groups shape your approaches and learning outcomes for the classes? What were the biggest differences? The monuments course was primarily a lecture class and it had different goals than the manuscript class. The former was more about opening students' minds to medieval monuments from across the globe, assuming little or no background for most of the material we covered. The manuscripts class was more object-oriented and dealt with materiality, the experience and meaning of individual manuscripts. The graduate students then were responsible for conducting more in-depth research and generating new insights in publishable quality papers. Yes, I remember this well. Uh, when I was a student in the manuscript seminar, the trajectory of my entire career as a medievalist changed. 
It sounds quite dramatic, but it's true. <laughs> Not only was I exposed to Jewish manuscripts, which are now my primary area of study, but I began to think more introspectively about medieval studies and my place within it as well. I also firmly believe that examining these global micro-histories has made me a better art historian, ever the more sensitive to the context, makers, viewers, materials, and long lives of medieval objects. So for me, this class was a resounding success. And speaking of successes, what do you think worked particularly well, Sonia? In Parchment Paper Palm, students were able to experience many of the precious manuscripts in person in the museum's art study room, as well as facsimiles in the Ingalls Library Archive viewing room. It was important for them to see the differences in scale and weight of these books, something that does not translate well in slides. They could experience the horizontal flipping of palm leaf pages, the right to left unrolling of a hand scroll or unfolding of an accordion style book, all of which present such different experiences than that of reading a codex. They were also able to see the accretion of devotional use over time, such as the pious material on the top cover of a Nepalese sutra that was worshipped as an icon on an altar, or stains from wine on a Haggadah, or the marks left from a kiss on a book of hours. These experiences were magical and unforgettable, revealing the range of purposes to which books were put a millennium ago. Yes, I, I think magical is the perfect way to describe these experiences. It seems we have just outlined a lot of successes of these two seminars, but perhaps we might also discuss areas for improvement. For this seminar, we tried to do too much. We had students with no background in most of the material, Western medieval included. The course combined lectures, seminar discussions, and object studies, and it was overwhelming. In the future, we may consider narrowing the inquiry down to one theme. In fact, I'm testing this out in my current class I already mentioned. It focuses on images of death and afterlife. I think the monuments class would benefit from further streamlining and deeper, closer looking of individual monuments, while showing comparative monuments less thoroughly we as specialists love so many sites, but we cannot include everything anyway, so instructors really need to be disciplined to present the right volume of material according to the students' abilities. Really, the monuments class should properly be taught as a field seminar, where the class travels to different monuments each week around the world. Wouldn't that be amazing? Short of that, it is possible that HoloLens or VR experiences would help enhance students' understanding of sites and the scale and spaces of structures. I would want to experiment with incorporating some of those technologies next time. Thank you both so much for sharing your reflections with me and with our audience. As we think through successes and revisions for teaching the global, or in reference to this podcast, the multicultural Middle Ages, I want to ask if there are any specific challenges that face someone trying to teach topics like this in the United States. The greatest challenge in the United States is a basic lack of background, historical background, linguistic background. The education system here, we find, is largely insular and surprisingly parochial, and it hardly ever asks students to step outside of themselves, as it were. We unfortunately already expect our students to have no background in, say, South Asian cultures, 
And now we also expect them to have absolutely no background in medieval European history as well. This state of affairs is actually serving to level student experience in a global medieval class. No longer is there such an imbalance between familiarity of Western European religion, history, and art, and that of any other part of the world. We just need to find creative and energetic collaborators to teach even the basics within our micro-histories. Well, Sonia is always an optimist, um, but let me just say that we have now seen the consequences of ignorance put on horrifying display by neo-Nazi groups in Charlottesville and beyond. The Middle Ages are being appropriated and recast as something that they never were. In the wake of the Unite the Right rally, we really felt that the stakes were upped in teaching the Middle Ages responsibly. Yes, I can definitely understand that. And you both really raise great points here. Which does lead me to ask, what is at stake when the multicultural Middle Ages enter the classroom? We live in an increasingly global world, but our global interconnectivity is typically in the form of superficial Twitter bites. Bringing the multicultural Middle Ages into the classroom affords students the opportunity to see the depth of historical resonances and recognize our lack of knowledge hopefully leading to respect and humility and even awe. It is essential to find like-minded collaborators who conscientiously prepare and learn one another's stuff and who revel in intellectual curiosity. Blithely wandering into territory with which one is not fully conversant is perilous. Little knowledge really is a dangerous thing. As we come up, upon the end of this interview. I want to say thank you to both of you for speaking with me today about these classes, the global turn, and how to approach each responsibly. It was a real pleasure to share our experiences. Thank you. Thank you for having us, Reed. And, of course, thank you to our listeners for joining us for this episode of the Multicultural Middle Ages podcast. Bye for now. This has been an episode of the Multicultural Middle Ages, an anthology-style podcast series brought to you by the Graduate Student Committee of the Medieval Academy of America. Season 1 was produced by Jonathan Correa Reyes, Rita Mera, and Logan Quigley, with music by Anna O'Connell. For more information on the Multicultural Middle Ages, follow the links in our episode description, and don't forget to hit that subscribe button to keep up with new episodes.